beginning to happen, and uh, it leads towards persecution. And one of those uh, forms uh, of persecution is directly connected to coercive assimilation. So let me talk about persecution. It can be connected to assimilation in its first form, what I call threat persecution. That says to us, become like us or we will persecute you. In other words, we don't like the way you are. You change and become like we are. Otherwise, we're going to uh, persecute you. So this is kind of a forced assimilation um, or a threat persecution. Those are connected. The second form of persecution is different. It says, you can never be one of us. So we're going to remove you by exile, imprisonment, or death. Now, Judaism has faced both types of persecution, where they are forced to assimilate, uh, uh, and if they don't, then they will be persecuted, uh, or where it doesn't matter, even if you want to assimilate, we're not going to let you, we're simply going to persecute you. Now, last week, I gave you three principles that are part of um, understanding how to endure uh, persecution. So what I want to do, I'm going to uh, put it in the chat real quick, those three, so that you have them. Um, I'm trying a little more to uh, make things available to you in this context. The first principle is that we are to live in peaceful wisdom, and that peaceful wisdom retreats from harm. In other words, if it's not aggressive, it will back back away. Second principle is that no matter what, some of us will be delivered and some will suffer. Some will find victory and some will be martyred. That, that's been a history of God's people from the beginning. And the third one is that our prayer should be primarily directed on behalf of those who are in authority so that we can live in tranquility and quietness. Not prayers that God will destroy them and do all of that. God will address that in his time. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We are to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. So it's important to keep those principles in mind. Now, I also suggested last week that we live in a governmental system that's quite different than those who have lived or wrote in biblical times. So that we need to be mindful of that when we look at biblical text. This week we're going to see a transition from one presidency to another, from one party to another. Major uh, differences at a time of quite uh, difficult uh, differences. Um, and yet... For the most part, it will not be like what happens in other cultures where there is a war and everybody on one side is is killed uh, or imprisoned. Now, we're seeing some pushes in those directions, and both sides should be arguing against that because that is not this, this governmental way. But we've been a blip of, of, of small parentheses in all of mankind where, where transitions of power are quite, uh, quite difficult, and they're really difficult on the rank-and-file people. Today I want to talk about resistance. Now, 
I think last week I may have given a false impression that I would be giving the examples in this sermon this week, uh, going into things like Mordecai and all of that. Actually, I want to address a principle of resistance preparation, and then I'm going to end this message listing some people. I'm not going to talk specifically about them, but I'm going to list them and where they're found in the Bible. And I'm hoping you will read those this week so that next week, rather than me doing a sermon, I want to have a conversation where we turn on all of our videos and we're all here and we talk about these things, particularly these examples. But I want us to do it based on what I'm talking about today. So our text today is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. I want to give you a little context. Ephesians is a book about unity of the body, of the, the whole body of Christ, uh, Jew and Gentile, all of that in, in, in kind of a cosmic sense. And then the apostle goes into starting that in the homes, because the home is the foundation of of the community of faith. And so he talks about the roles of husband and wife and father and children and masters and servants and all of that. He goes through that. And then in chapter 6 at verse 10, he addresses something a little different. So I want you to uh, read with me. Uh, I had my Bible open to that. Let me turn it back to our other text. So uh, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, verse 14 will then say, stand firm, therefore. So, now there's more here than meets the eye, and this has not been, this is a favorite text for a lot of people, it's not been one of mine, in part because most of the people, when they preach on this, or they talk about this, they get all crazy about the boots and the girdle and the breastplate, and they start talking about the things that Paul is using as a teaching connection, and they they put the emphasis on that and not on what he's talking characteristically about this. So what he does is he reminds us that our struggle, by the way, that word struggle has the idea of a wrestling match. This is not a word that talks about a war. This is not a this is not an onward Christian soldiers thing. He's talking about this struggle, this wrestling match that's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the leaders and powers and rulers and evil of the heavenly places. There is, as Dr. Barnhouse expresses in his book, The Invisible War, a spiritual battle in the creation between Satan, his angels, and those human beings called the children of darkness who follow Satan's will, and the Lord, his angels, and we, the children of light, who follow God's will. This struggle has been part of this creation from the time of the temptation of Adam and Eve to the present. Now we know that ultimately God will be victorious through Messiah Yeshua. 
And we have to be reminded that this is not primarily a political struggle, but a spiritual one, Through though politics are certainly involved. Now, the Apostle repeats in this passage several times that we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We are to resist by standing firm. And we have, having done everything to stand firm, is what he's talking about. So he's talking about a standing resistance, not a charging resistance. In order to do this, we have to have the full armor of God. In order to stand in resistance, and we are to stand firm, not advancing, but resisting the losing of ground. This is not an offensive uh, strategy, it's defensive. And we will only be able to stand if we are dressed and equipped appropriately. And so Paul's going to give us the rest of that. So in Ephesians uh, 6 verse 14, he says... Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He begins with this belt of truth. The word is quoting from Isaiah, and the word truth, imunah, can also mean faithfulness, and the breastplate of righteousness or justice, right? Uh, Paul is probably alluding here to Isaiah chapter 11 where the righteous branch, the Messiah, is belted with faithfulness, righteousness, and truth. We're to be girded, that is held together, bound by truth. The idea of being faithful to the truth is part of what we're supposed to do. The truth of God binds us to that which is unseen and eternal so that we can ultimately walk according to that truth, which will be our righteousness as that breastplate. So I don't want you to get all hung up on the issue of the breastplate versus the belt. I want you to listen to what Paul's talking about. Faith, we need to be faithful to the truth, and we need to walk in truth and walk in righteousness. We're to be doers of the word as a lifestyle, so that we don't suffer as evildoers, but our behavior in word and deed will be bound to truth and doing what's right. That requires that we are hearers and doers of the word, and that requires that we know the word well and completely. I am amazed at the biblical illiteracy among even regular attending and gathering Christians. Uh, It is amazing how much we have lost a knowledge of the scriptures. And so that's one of the things that we need to do. We are people of truth. We have to live in truth. We have to walk in truth. And that means that we're going to act right in those cases. Now verse 15 says that we are uh, having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this idea of uh, the feet, I'm sure Paul is again drawing from Isaiah, where the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. What is the good news? Announcing peace, announcing happiness, salvation, the Hebrew word Yeshua, and saying to Zion, your God reigns. This gospel, this good news is not the four spiritual laws about personal salvation. 
It's the good news that the God of Israel will bring about the culmination of all this struggle and battle into fulfillment of the kingdom when our Lord comes and restores the kingdom to Israel and Jerusalem. And we know that this is uh, uh, able to give us a reason for the hope that is in us. So we have to know that well enough that when people say, why don't you go along with the world? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? We say, we're not seeking a political solution to the world. As much as is possible, we live at peace with all men. We want to live quiet and peaceful lives. But we're not going to fix this world. We're awaiting the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace who will bring about that. We will be persecuted for that, but that is our response. And hopefully, some who are uh, being drawn by the Spirit will come and join us in that way. Now, in verse 16, he says, In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the evil one is going to attack us. Our enemy, like a lion, seeks whom he may devour and we're told here we're to use this shield, which is faith. The shield of faith quenches the attacks of the devil. What is this faith? This is a faith that says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I I know who God is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him and walk in his ways. And as James tells us, if we submit to God, that's what faith does, and resist the devil, he will flee from us. So what are these arrows, these flaming arrows that he's sending us? There are two things I think that are important to know. That Satan will bring us doubt in God's word. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He made them doubt what God had said. He twisted it a little bit. He did the same thing, tried to do the same thing with Jesus. He also sows discord among the brethren. Okay? So when we are at each other's throats, that's satanic stuff. That's not because one of us is a jerk and the other one is the same. We're all jerks. Thank God we're all saints. But the idea is that we begin to have discord among ourselves and we begin to doubt God's word. So that's an important part of this. Then in Ephesians 7, 6, 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. Um, uh, he says here, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now the helmet of salvation is also mentioned in Isaiah. In chapter 59, verse 17, where it's called the helmet of salvation that, that the Lord himself is, is, is wearing. And it says, um, in Thessalonians, Paul calls this the helmet of the hope of our salvation. Salvation, in a sense, keeps our head in times of great struggle, keeps us minded on the Lord. And the sword of the Spirit, now, a lot of people think, okay, now we have an offensive weapon. I suspect that this sword, too, is defensive. Because our Lord said to his disciples, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The sword is the word of God by which we defend ourselves before mankind, as Jesus did in his temptation by saying, it is written. 
In other words, the Word of God is our sword of the Spirit. With that helm, with that shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, the hope of salvation, we are able to adjust and uh, work through this wrestling that we are in a spiritual battle. So what do we do while we're waiting? We dress in this way and we do what the next verses say. Verses 18 to 20. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that is, uh, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul's not going to be able to go anywhere and speak it. He's going to speak it in prison where he is. He's going to write his letters. He's going to talk to the people that visit him. And he's asking for prayer. Now I want you to understand what he's doing here. When we can, and that should permeate our life, there should be prayer and fasting as part of this. We're going to see that in some of the examples that we look at next week um, in our readings. Uh, it's easy to think that the armor is protecting us, but that's not true. The Lord is our defense and He is our shield. We're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's what verse 10 has told us. So our job is to resist by standing. We are to continue in our trust and obedience in God while we can and we walk by faith. But when the struggle becomes strong and threatens to overwhelm us, we're not going to be able to walk forward. We're going to have to then stand firm and resist the evil one. When that season passes, we can step again by faith until the next storm gathers and then we stand. So what are we doing? I want to give you a uh, overview of this. So let me do this. Uh, let me fix one thing. Uh, sorry about this. Let me uh, see if I can get this to work and put this in the chat session for you. So I hope you can see that. So what we're doing is we are uh, going to stay in faithfulness to the truth. We're going to engage in righteous behavior. We're going to keep the gospel as our message, that whole gospel as our message, using faith as our shield, salvation as our hope, and scripture as our sword of defense while we pray and fast for one another, to maintain our connection to the Lord and for one another. What does this look like in reality? So now we need the examples. And I want to give you a set of examples. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to put that in the, uh, uh, in the uh, chat session so that you have them as I'm talking about them. And I'm hoping that this week you will... Um, Make use of these. So, where we're going to look for our examples, we're going to look at Joseph. Because Joseph had to wrestle and struggle with his family and with the Egyptians. 
You're going to find that in Genesis 37 to 46. So I hope you'll be looking for that um, and read through that. Many of you are familiar with these texts. And so just looking at them now, looking at them for what did they do? What are the dynamics? What's going on? We want to look at the book of Daniel particularly not the vision so much as the narrative parts, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, this is in diaspora, in a uh, not being in the uh, culture of, of God. You'll, you'll see uh, that. Uh, we want to look at Mordecai and Esther, as uh, Brian brought up last week. Uh, so, so look through the book of Esther and look at what's going on there. And then I want you to look through the book of Acts where the apostles address both the Jewish authorities and civil authorities in this. Because remember, the, the persecutions and the difficulties are different when they come from your brethren, your family, or from your religious community, or they come from the outside world. Now I want to make an important point here. Scripture comes in several forms. Three primary ones are commandments of how to live, wisdom literature that gives us understanding, and narrative. Uh, the examples that I've just given you are clearly narrative. And while Paul tells us in the Corinthians that the narratives were written for our instruction as we are those who uh, come upon the end of all things... I want to be careful that we don't make the stories formulaic in action. In other words, the narratives tell us about God and ourselves as examples and patterns, not specific to-do lists. We're not going to build an ark. We're not going to uh, say what Mordecai said. We're, we're learning to understand the patterns of what the dynamics were. So when you read them, and we discuss them next week, I want to not fall into the trap of making them tell us what to do. Um, they're there to make us understand the dynamics between us and God. And in some cases, we will see that uh, what they did, did wasn't helpful, right? Uh, so then we're going to apply that understanding with wisdom, which requires prayer. Uh, and then we will be able to do this. So I'm going to ask you to read those texts, be ready to discuss them against our own situation, uh, which is that there is division among the believers, there is problems among our families. <laughs> you know, you probably, I've got family on both sides of every issue, so you probably do too. And then there is clearly something beginning to happen in our culture that is shifting. And so I think you want to take a look at those books on anti-Semitism and the two new books that I talked about, The Gathering Storm and Live Not by Lies. Now let me come to my conclusion here. Um, I'm struggling with this content in part because the questions and responses that I'm getting from students, from congregants, friends, and co-workers strike me as being somewhat off the mark. What what I keep getting is people are looking for like quick and bottom line answers. So what do we do? Now remember I described this as a wrestling match. Now, many of you know for many years I've been involved in judo and jiu-jitsu, which, which is a form of wrestling. 
As a result, I understand balance and subtle adjustments that allow you to move to gain some advantage in the struggle. Now, in the past, I've compared some more aggressive forms of the martial arts with the defensive ones, so I understand that as well. If we're to stand firm, we cannot be aggressive and proactive. We can't go Cobra Kai on the culture. Okay? We have to shift our balances, adjust our footings, so that we can stand firm. It's almost like if you have ever stood in the ocean as the waves come through and the currents go, sometimes you're being pushed this way, then this way, then this way, then a wave hits at the same time. It's that kind of thing. There's this subtle slightly different adjustment to balances that we need to be thinking about what do we do in relationships with people. There are some people we want to win over to our side, even if they're not believers. There are some that we want to avoid. There are some that we may want to be very firm, like Mordecai was. So we'll talk about that. When we discuss this next week, I want you to understand that this is not a one-size-fits-all. I want you to be careful because I don't want you to lose the nuances when I'm trying to be clear in my, in my speaking. So that's the issue of this text. And it's become a text I'm much more... Um, uh, appreciative of, as I quit trying to figure out what boots were they Roman boots or were they Palestinian boots? Were they were, was was the girdle this or was the breastplate like the priest breastplate or was it like a warrior? I don't that those commentators have missed the point. The the scriptures really talking about this faithfulness uh, and in to the truth, righteousness in our behavior, the gospel in its fullness as our message. Faith is our shield against Satan's darts. Salvation as our hope. The scripture as our sword of defense. And our prayer and fasting as our connection to the Lord and to one another. And so I want to pray and then we will uh, go into Q&A. So let me stop the recording here and uh, let's pray.